Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two, episode one of the Veterinary Optimist. I'm your host, Jennifer Evans, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a bit now. Today, we have Dr. Adolph with us. Dr. Adolph received his DVM degree in 1996 from Oklahoma State University. After a year and a half as an associate veterinarian, Dr. Adolph was a practice owner for 17 years. During his time as a practice owner, he developed a special interest in parasitology and practice management. Dr. Adolph passed the American College of Veterinary Microbiology Parasitology exam in 2015. The same year, he joined Zoetis. In addition to his full-time role as a senior veterinary specialist, Dr. Adolph serves as the vice president of the American Heartworm Society, the Zoetis Industry Representative for CAPSI, the ACBM Board of Governors and Exam Committee, and the Oklahoma Veterinary Medical Association District 1 Director. Dr. Adolph also works a few days a month as an associate veterinarian in Owasso, Oklahoma. Dr. Adolph, welcome. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I'm I'm really glad you're here today too. And even reading that off, I mean, it's unbelievable all the, the hats you wear. And it, Doc, I had... I don't even know that I knew that you did all of these different things, being the vice president of the Heartworm Society, the CAPC, all of that. Your plate must be full at all times. Oh, there's never a dull minute. There's usually something <laughs> going on. I can imagine. Well, so let's start from the beginning, Dr. Adolph. You know, I've heard a little bit about your story. And to me, it's just incredibly inspiring. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how your journey began from when you very first decided to, to become a veterinarian? Absolutely. I can I can tell you I was 11 years old and I lived out in the country away from everybody. And my best friend was my beagle. And we did everything together. We you know, went hunting. We went fishing. We did all of these things together because my closest friend was a two mile bicycle ride away from me. Right. So he got sick. And I know now what it was. But at the time, I was a frightened 11 year old and we lived in the rural part of Oklahoma. We didn't have tons of disposable income. And I was really worried he was going to die. So I took all the money that I had made mowing lawns and working odd jobs. And I begged my mother, I said, please, can we take him to the veterinarian and try? Well, turns out he had an abscess. Okay. And we all know, you know, hey, guess what? You do some sedation, you clean up the abscess, antibiotics, et cetera. But at the time, when I was 11 years old, I would have been no more surprised if that veterinarian had built a rocket ship from the spare parts in his garage and flown it to the moon. It just absolutely astonished me that he was able to save my dog and he was able to work within my budget because, you know, as an 11 year old kid, they're not loaded with money and my dog lived. And that was the spark that said, I think that's what I want to do with my life. I think I want to take the fact that I really like science and I'm very, you know, uh, into this uh, type of study and work with animals. And uh, my understanding is you make a you know, okay living with this. You won't starve to death. So that was the beginning of my journey. And it just, I never looked back. I, I, I had a kind of a plan B of, well, if I can't get in veterinary school, maybe I'll go to med school, maybe I'll do this. But I was laser beam focused and uh, things worked out and I you know, got to go to veterinary school. Wow, that's awesome. Did you go... Did you go to, in Oklahoma, from what I understand, Oklahoma has a good school for veterinary medicine. Is that a correct statement? 
Yeah, Oklahoma State. That's where uh, that's where I went to undergrad. That's where I went to uh, vet school, and that's where I have my master's degree. So uh, when people ask me, you know, hey, uh, you know, you went to Oklahoma State? I was like, yeah, three times. <laughs> well, and you know, even uh, you know, the amount of time that 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 doctors spend in school, it can feel like almost 10 times. Am I right? Like that, that just the amount that you're there and you kind of have a story where it wasn't just straightforward. You didn't just go to school and come out as a parasitologist. From what I understand, you went to school and got out as a young veterinarian and it led to a bigger story. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about that portion of your journey? Were you a straight A student? Did you do all of these great things? You knew exactly where you were going to go. You felt so confident in everything. Oh my gosh, far from it. I mean, you you recently talked to one of my classmates, Dr. Jill Clark. She was a gunner. She was an amazing veterinary student. I was uh, not whatever the opposite of that was. Um, I was young. I really liked to have fun and I put in enough work to get out of veterinary school. And so that came back to, uh, you know, bite me in the rear end once I was a graduate veterinarian, because I was going into work on almost a daily basis, like speaking to the steering wheel. I hope I don't kill something today because I'm incompetent. And I had that, and, and a, you know, some new graduates may still feel that way, but it took me some time to get to the point where I could drive to work and say, you know, I think whatever happens today, I think I got it. And that was a long journey to get there. But during that period of time, I could not get from the beginning of the day to the end of the day without diagnosing some parasitic condition. You know, heartworms, intestinal parasites, or uh, tick-borne pathogens, or something with fleas. You couldn't get through the day without doing that. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that I'm very deficient in this area. I clearly did not pay attention to my parasitology instructors and I need to get better in this area. And around the same time, I had come to the realization that I'm working really hard. I'm working like 70, 80 hours a week and I'm building my, my practice, but I do not have the take home money to show for how much effort I'm putting into this. So around both of those times, I realized I need to work smarter, not harder. And so this was the beginning of, I'm going to talk to people smarter than me or more successful than me and start interviewing. How did you do this? How did you do it? And that was the beginning of where I am today. Hey, Dr. Adolph, let's pause right here for a second. Were you at this point, you've graduated um, vet school, you've gone out, you've obviously started practicing, you've gone through this experience of being this new graduate and not necessarily feeling the confidence that you would expect to feel after eight years of school, right? Because when you get out of that amount of school, you you would think you'd be able to walk in and just feel like you've got all of this under control, right? And so you go through this process of, of having to talk to yourself in the car. And, and I love that visualization because I was one of the ones, and I know I talk about this on other podcasts, and I know that, and I know that I'm actually going to have this doctor on very soon, but I did a lot of the overseeing of the brand new doctors, right? And there is a lot of scared veterinarians that come out of school that just don't want to take a misstep. They don't want to hurt an animal and they don't want to hurt a family that loves this animal by making a decision that they're not confident making. Right. So 
I love this visualization of you hyping yourself up before you go in because the way that the way that we talk to ourselves is a big deal. And so you're at this point where you're starting to gain some confidence. Doc, tell me, are you still a associate veterinarian at this point? Or have you gotten to a point where you are starting to own your own practice when you're having this conversation with yourself and deciding that you want to do more and figure out a way to, to bring more money home, essentially to take care of you and your family? Well, it was it. Some the, these are kind of overlapping circles. So the, the my first job was with uh, uh, Dr. George Carley in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he treated me very well. And after I'd been an associate for about a year, he offered me a tremendous partnership opportunity. So we were business partners for the next four years after that. And so I could lean on him. He was more experienced, and if I got into something kind of tricky, he was very good about helping me out. But from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, I was in a different practice and I was the only veterinarian there. Right. And I, when I talk to new graduates, I say, don't take the path I did, man. It was a school of hard knocks for a while. But um, after a period of time, uh, we decided that I would buy him out. And then I was the sole owner. And it was around that time where, you know, I'd been running the business for some time with, with a lot of help and a lot of guidance, but I had made a decision that I, I need to do better than this because around that same time, um, we I had three small children and uh, my, my baby daughter was a newborn. And I remember one night very vividly holding her and just having the thought go through my head. Your dad does not make enough money to get you what you need to mm. you know, provide the proper things, start saving for college, all of these things. And so, you know, and I had the thought of like, listen, if I don't do any better in, in 15 years, I'm just going to have to pick a favorite and that one gets to go to college. And I didn't want to do it that way. Right. So it was about that time that I got really good advice from very successful practice owners. And one of the first things I did was I said, I'm going to increase my continuing education budget. And once a year, I'm going to go to a CE only meeting, the CE meeting of practice management only. And if there's some cool glaucoma lecture, I'm skipping it because I'm going to learn how to be a business owner, which at that point I felt like I'm, I'm probably an average veterinarian at this point, but I'm a poor owner. And so I need to get better. So I would once a year pick a really good uh, practice management and go to that. And guess what? I learned for the first time what a key performance indicator was. You know, um, you know, up to that point, I thought, well, just do good medicine and, you know, the rest of it will take care of itself. Turns out that's not how that goes. You what gets measured gets done. And mm. so from that point, it was like focus on your business and you can't focus on everything all at once. You have to pick a lane. Well, I picked parasitology to focus on from a business standpoint, because, you know, that's one of the more commonly, you know, uh, diagnosed things, parasitism. And there's a lot of revenue in preventing the things from happening. The first, it's good for the patient. It's good for the practice. And so we focused on that. And that was our first uh, step toward being a better ran business. Mm. You know, Dr. Adolf, you know what I love about what you're talking about right now is I'm all about the growth mindset. And I believe that anybody in veterinary medicine needs to be about the growth mindset. I think so often, we get in this thought process of, of 
barely surviving the day. I think we get in this thought process of if somebody's good at what they do, let's keep them there. Right. And I'm a firm believer that as far as the staff that surrounds me and the people I want to be around at all times, if they're not continuously growing and moving towards something else and moving towards something bigger, that, that causes a struggle with me because I want to surround myself around people that I want to be like, and I want to be like people who are also growing. And I believe that is a true statement for even the practice owners. Like you want to continuously be evolving so that you can serve your patients and your clients and your staff better. And this thought process with, with what you're saying here, that speaks very loudly to how you were running that practice. And that's a huge deal for me. And two, Doc, I could talk all day long about how easy it is. And I'm sure we'll maybe have a second conversation about this one day about how easy it is for staff members to, to pass up on important diagnostics when it comes to wellness medicine. Because a lot of times when you talk about the diagnostics with that, we're talking about drawing blood, getting urine and getting fecal samples. And when you talk about those type of samples, it's not always the highlight of our job, right? But there's so much value around it. And there's so, there's such a deep connection when it comes to the pets in their homes with these potential zoonotic diseases and things that can spread not only to other animals, but now you're talking about your family members. So I think that's an incredible thing for you to have focused on. Okay, so we're at this point of your story where you're ready to start focusing. You've had conversations with people who know more about this area than maybe you do. And you have decided that parasitology is where you want to grow in your practice. What happens next? So what happens next was we started having tremendous success because we, you know, part of the uh, things that I changed based on management was we had more regular team meetings and we could focus on like, this is what we're going to focus on. And then we would measure it. And then we would report back to each other what's working, what's not working. How do we tweak the things that aren't working? How do we do better on the things that are working? And so we started growing our numbers, number of dogs protected, number of cats protected, number of uh, conditions diagnosed. Every, the, the, the pie was growing and growing and growing. So the more we grew, the more really smart people I started coming in contact with. And so part of that was I need to know, you know, enough parasitology to be able to, uh, you know, communicate well with clients. So I would go to parasite specific, you know, CE. And this was where I met some of the most influential people of my life, uh, Byron Blackburn, Dwight Bowman, and at the top is Susan Little. And Susan Little had just come to Oklahoma State to be a, you know, the parasitologist at Oklahoma State. We uh, met each other. We talked like, hey, I'm just right down the road. And where my life changed, we were at the same meeting circa 2007. We were having a dinner and I said, Susan, I have a crazy idea. I want to go to a shelter. I want to collect samples from cats. And I want to prove to people around here that cats also have heartworm disease. And Susan said something that changed my life. She's like, that would be amazing. We should totally do that. And you know what else would be cool? And then the study grew and grew and grew. And what I, that was the first time. I didn't know it at the time. But when Susan Little says, you know what else would be cool? That's going to be a lot of work. Because the study, we, we collected samples on, on mul in multiple areas. 
And so when we're about halfway through, our goal was to evaluate somewhere around 100 to 125 cats to be, you know, statistically powerful enough to say this is a thing or this is not a thing. And like halfway through, she said, I want to come watch you collect samples. So we were talking in person. And this is where she goes, you need to be a parasitologist. And I was like, oh, that's very, very flattering. But I'm a real doctor. I, I work in a practice. I see patients. You know, I also see skin problems and I also take care of bad teeth. And uh, it's very flattering. But she kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. And we got to a point where I'm like, okay, this is an open door. I have one of the world's best parasitologists offering to take me under her wing. I just have to be smart enough to walk through this door. And so in 2010, I walked through the door. And as a 39-year-old veterinarian who'd been out of veterinary school 15 years, I went back to graduate school and started a master's degree program. Dr. Adolph, you know, listening to this story right now, I'm enjoying it so deeply because when you talk about walking through open doors and feeling that moment of just being like maybe nervous, maybe scared, maybe not understanding what could be on the other side of that door. It's so important to recognize that the majority of the time opportunity sits on the other side of that, of that door. And even, even the picture of you holding your steering wheel, talking to yourself, right? Like hyping yourself up opportunity stood on the other side of that veterinary door when you walked through it and continued practicing medicine. You know, when you're talking to Dr. Little and, and knowing that this door had officially opened up opportunity sat on the other side of that door. And you probably sat there in your car with some version of holding your steering wheel, talking to yourself at 39 years old with a family and a full-time practice, knowing that it was going to be a massive hill for you to, for you to go up, but, but that opportunity potentially was standing on the other side of that. And, and just picturing that and knowing that that's how your journey played out up until this point. I mean, that's incredibly inspiring in, in my opinion. I don't know that I could imagine going back at 39 years old to, to tackle the type of schooling that you did with everything else that you were doing. Can you tell me this, when you were in that process of making all of these decisions, being 39, going back to school, was it all easy? Did it, was it easier than the first time you went? It was different than the first time I went. Um, uh, the workload was um, uh, quite a bit harder than I had anticipated. Uh, there were struggles to that. You know, I had to take a cell molecular biology course and it, I really struggled. I was like, we know a lot more about the nucleus now than we did when I was in vet school. I mean, there was uh, uh, a lot of stuff there, but I was also more mature. I wasn't a knuckleheaded kid anymore. I wasn't, you know, looking for which party are we going to go to this weekend, right? I was settled. I had, you know, kids. I had all of the, I had, you know, grown up responsibilities. And so, at the beginning, I, I made it as, as like, listen, I, to myself, this is a conversation with myself. The first time you went through, you scraped by, you got through veterinary school. What would have happened had you applied yourself? Like, this is absolutely the last time I will ever be in school. I don't want to be an old man on my deathbed wondering what if. So I mm. said, I'm going to commit to the next several years, maximum effort maximum effort. And so I put my maximum effort into it. 
and, you know, took a few years, but I was able to, you know, graduate with honors this time, not just like, hey, here's your diploma, get lost. We don't want you here anymore. I mean, like they were legit, like proud of me there. Right. So uh, that that felt really good to be able to rise the challenge of this is a lot of work. I can get this done. Wow. But just thinking about that, that's pretty amazing. So were you still full time veterinarian up until this point of finishing this degree? Oh, heck yeah. So I was doing like 40, 50 hours a week in practice and we had come to an arrangement. Now, this is now keep in mind this 2010. We're a long time from a pandemic. We don't even know what a Zoom is, right? And so there was some thinking like, you have to be physically sitting in this classroom to make this happen. Well, in negotiations between me and Dr. Little and the graduate college coordinator, we came up with a hybrid plan of once a week, I would legit drive over to Stillwater. So I would practice till about 3 p.m., and then let other people take it. And I would go to go to class, come back. And then the rest of the time I could do uh, uh, what was what passed for virtual back then, which was not joining live, but they would video capture lectures. And as soon as it was done, they would put it on a website that I could go then view the lecture and do what we need to. And that worked great when the instructors remembered to turn their microphone on. It, that It worked really good unless they didn't. So then I had to play a little catch up, but uh, we were able to get through it. There were challenges, uh, but we were able to overcome. So this is about, you said about 2010 when this happens. At that point, did you, what did you plan on doing with, with this new degree that you had in parasitology? Did you, did you go directly to taking the boards? Did you take it to a specialty clinic? There was no plans. So you know, as far as, you know, parasitology, there's no like veterinarian that practices in a, you know, I couldn't go to the specialty place and like hang out with the ophthalmologist and the cardiologist be like, I'm just going to see weird parasite cases. So the, there was really no set plan, right? It was, this is an opportunity, take it, who knows what the future will bring, right? But the one thing was I was also doing uh, some lectures for different pharmaceutical companies on various parasitology topics. And, you know, honestly, I thought, well, if, if I have a master's degree, I'm going to have a little more credibility than, uh, you know, and, and I've had these comments like, you know, from other veterinarians, like he's got the same degree I do. Why would I want to go listen to what that dude has to say? So I thought this would just give me a little more credibility in front of my peers, that was it. That was as far as my brain took it. So when I graduated in 2013, I I was running on fumes. I was running on fumes. And so the thought of then transitioning to board prep, I was like, it made me want to vomit. I was like, I, I'll die if I don't scale back to just practicing and then doing the occasional lecture here and there. So I, I did that for about a year. I did that for about a year. And then Zoetis came calling. It's a smart company to come calling because uh, you are definitely uh, an inspiring individual. Did you make the decision to leave practice at that point and go do speeches for them full time? Did you make the decision to do half and half? Is that? It was a process. So. Okay. 
So about a year after I graduated, um, Zoetis approached me and my, I, my really good friend time, Dr. Joyce Logan, she was working for Zoetis full time as the uh, parasiticide medical lead. And she asked me like, are you going to the uh, parasitology meeting uh, in whatever it is, it's in the summertime. It's like, yeah, she goes, well, can we get lunch? I, I want to talk to you about something. I was like, yeah, sure. I like Joyce. We'll go, you know, get lunch somewhere. And so we met in the lobby and there was the lady who wound up being my first manager and another Zoetis person. So we go to lunch and I thought they were just going to be like, uh, hey, can you do some like feline heartworm presentations for us? Because, I mean, that was a big thrust of my my master's degree research was uh, feline diseases and the big chunk of it was feline heartworm. So I was prepared for that, but I was unprepared for what the conversation was. So Dr. Erica Pratt, who was my first manager, said, we have a team of specialists at Zoetis. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there were two anesthesiologists, two dermatologists, two dentists, uh, a boarded surgeon. And they said, we're thinking of adding a parasitologist. What do you think? And I'll remember it clear as day. I, I looked at her. I said, I think it's brilliant that you guys want to hire a parasitologist. I know a lot of smart people. I'll help you look for one. And there was just silence. Like, you, you don't get what we're saying. We, what do you think about this? And, I, and at the time, it just hit me. I was like, I'm not a parasitologist. I'm a, I'm a real doctor. I, I mm. work for a living. I see dogs and cats, right? And you're like, but you're board eligible. Correct, right? With my master's degree and my publications, I'm eligible to take the board exam. And I was thinking about doing that maybe next year. And they're like, well, we don't have the position created yet, but we're this is exploratory. But can you give me a non-no answer? And I said, listen, I I, I really respect the way it's a company. I think you do things, you know, the right way. Um, if if you do wind up posting the job, I'm happy to have a second conversation with you. And I forgot about it. It's like, and th thanks for the salad. It was great. So two months later, Dr. Pratt calls and says, it's posted. We want you to apply. So I was like, hang on a second. Hang on. Before we, what is the job? And she goes, well, the job doesn't exist right now. It's never existed. So the successful candidate will have an opportunity to define the role. Now, this was the first time that this, the, no went to a maybe in my head because what I heard was, Chris, you can get in there and screw this up royally. Just tell them that's what good looks like. They don't know. Nobody's ever done this before. It's a no-lose situation. Mm -hmm. So so I said, well, let's talk some more about it. So we had conversations for another couple of months. And the more we talked about it, I was like, this is kind of an opportunity to have a larger voice because right now I am seeing however many, I don't know, 15, 20 patients a day. So I'm having an impact on that many patient lives a day. And then occasionally, maybe once a month, I'll go do a dinner meeting somewhere and I can talk to you know, 20, 30, 40 veterinarians who then can go have this, but I could do this full time and potentially have a greater impact of, of rising the tide for everybody. So the more we talked, the more I thought, this is something I could do. But it came with a downside because I love the people I work with at my old practice. They're like family. I'm going to have to go look them in the eye and say, I'm not doing this anymore. That 
was the worst part was after I had accepted the job was having the meeting with my team and saying, guys, I'm going to transition it. I mean, there were tears, not going to lie to you. No. So how old were you at this point? If you don't mind me asking. No, no, not at all. So this would have been 2015. So I'm like 43 at this point. Okay. Well, Brad Radoff, as far as I'm concerned, and this is this is a big deal for me because we talked about it earlier. When you talk about your path for growing, right? When you talk about the door being open with Dr. Little and the opportunity on the other side, this is another one of those situations, right? Like that door opening, that opportunity on the other side landed you at this company's doorstep. And then they opened another door. And then opportunity was on the other side of that. And that's just a beautiful example of the way that you can grow in veterinary medicine. I think that there is a lot of talk around the fact that there is the ceiling effect in vet med, right? We can hit so high, especially for for, um, support staff, like we can only go so high before we hit the ceiling, right? And there has to be something beyond that, right? You had your growth within this practice. You did all of these things where you continued to show people that you're not going to stop and you're going to continue shooting for the stars. And, and you making that step even into Zoetis, even though it hurt them at that moment, it just probably set a deeper example, in my opinion, of you shouldn't stop. You should always try and take that next step. You should always try and take that next opportunity. And even if it was painful in the moment, I'm sure it set a beautiful example of what it looks like to not stop. And and I really appreciate that about you. And I appreciate that you set that for them. And Zoetis Zoetis was smart to do that. I don't, I don't want to sound like a Zoetis commercial, right? But I am going to take a second to make sure that my listeners know that the specialist that Zoetis has lined up at their company, they are the best of the best. And we are as a profession lucky to have such high standards with this company, with who they employ to bring us these meetings in this education, because Dr. Adolph, you and your team, they're incredible. I could speak very highly of many members and I'm just super grateful that you decided to take that step. Okay. This is an amazing story. I look forward to us having the potential of 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 having a second conversation but i'm going to ask you a couple things it's a little bit of a a curveball but i'm sure you're going to be fine with it um if you were to say the one thing in your career that you were the most proud of what would you say has been the the moment that you feel like you have the most pride wow that's uh god that's like asking me which one is my favorite kid you know that's uh that's really hard to do there's so much there's so much that i'm proud of um you know here's the thing i am i I guess if i had to boil it down to one thing one thing it would be that i passed the board exam on the first try because Mm. when when i got out of my graduate i took a breath and then i went into a year and a half of board prep and I will tell you right now, I would take the Navali once a week the rest of my life if I never had to take the board exam again. And the reason why that, that's I'm proud is because Dr. Little had so much faith in me that she took that a practicing veterinarian, not a 
not a PhD student, not a person who wanted to be like new, always new. She took me under her wing and I didn't want to let her down. And so I, you know, the last couple of months I was studying 16 hours a day, just uh, there was books and journals and stuff all over the wall. And when I got that email that said, you have passed, I, Susan was my first call. It's like, I did it. And you were responsible for this. And so that, if I had to break it down to one moment, it would be uh, that December day on in 2015. Uh, that gave me chills. Listening to it gave me chills. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question, and then we'll wrap this up for, for this episode today. If you, Dr. Adolph, were to give one piece of advice to a veterinarian in practice today, to, to just inspire him a little bit, what do you think that you would tell them? I would tell them, never stop learning. Never stop learning. I have encountered some veterinarians that, you know, they got the veterinary degree and that that was kind of good enough. But I've encountered so many more that stay curious, stay curious. What, what is the new thing? Why do we do it this way? Always have an answer other than why do you do it that way? Well, that's the way we've always done it. It's a terrible answer know why you're doing always stay curious there might be a better way always stay learning and this will allow you to be the very best veterinarian and here's the thing you go into an exam room and people pay a lot of money for that exam i feel you owe it to them to give them the very best you can only do that if you're current and you stay learning and stay curious you're going to give that pet the best chance at the longest, healthiest, happiest life possible. If you know the newest and best thing to do. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this episode than that answer right there. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. Dr. Adolph, I'm definitely not going to end this episode without thanking you for your dedication to veterinary medicine. Uh, I want to thank you for your dedication to growth. I think it sets an example that so many of us need in this profession. I want to thank you for your dedication to to, to not only this profession, but to the way that you show up for the company that you work for, for the way that you show up to your staff member, for your staff members that you still practice with. And even the way that you show up for your family, I know that we didn't get to talk much about it, but it's clear that there's a deep love there and a deep responsibility to be a human who, who is um, there to love them and take care of them properly. And, and I just, I think that's wonderful. Thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for your time here today. Hey, it was a pleasure. So I uh, hope we can do it again soon. Oh, same. We're going to figure that out for sure. I, I hope that uh, all of the listeners enjoyed this as much as I did. And we'll we'll see you next time. Thank you.